Well, in Galatians chapter 6 this evening, we're going to read and uh, just examine together verses 9 and 10. So let me read Galatians 6, uh, 9 and 10, where Paul writes, Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. This is God's word. And I've called this sermon, Sowing Good. Uh, Sowing Good. Last uh, time in verses uh, eight, uh, 7 and 8, we uh, looked at uh, reaping what we have sown. Uh, and Paul continues that kind of theme uh, as he speaks about sowing, uh, doing good, and reaping the harvest of that. Well, in just over one year's time, on the 26th of July, 2024, uh, the Olympic Games in Paris begin. And right now, all over the world, there are people who are elite athletes preparing themselves for the events in which they are going to participate in. Each of them are striving to win a medal. Many of them hope and expect that they could win the gold. And so this means that right now, these men and women are giving up a lot of their time. They are giving up uh, time with family and friends, perhaps. They are definitely giving up certain foods they might love to eat. Um, you can't imagine... Uh, many people going uh, to the Olympics and winning gold medals, having spent a year at McDonald's. Uh, they're giving up all sorts of things like that. They are disciplining themselves in uh, what we would see as extreme ways in order for them to be able to strive for the gold medal at the Olympic Games. And no doubt, now and over the next year, some of them are going to get tired. And there'll be times when they are weary and as their bodies and their minds are pushed to the limit, some of them will be asking themselves this question. Is this worth it? Is this worth it? Now, Paul the Apostle often describes the Christian life as like an Olympic event that we prepare for. And as we serve Jesus, we get tired as we push ourselves and as we sacrifice for the, the cause of Christ, sometimes we might wonder, is it worth it? We might ask ourselves the same question that these athletes are asking. Now with the Olympic athletes, only one of them for each event will win the gold medal. They don't share gold medals to just everyone in every event. One person wins the gold. As a Christian, uh, it's slightly different because every Christian faithfully serving Jesus will be rewarded. Everyone who serves Jesus faithfully will be rewarded. There's not just like one medal and if you miss that, you, you're done. What we're going to see tonight is that every Christian is rewarded as they faithfully serve Jesus. And tonight we're going to see from these verses that the answer to the question, is it worth it? is always yes. When some of these Olympic athletes get to the Olympic Games, 
Some of them, you know, and it's, it's really sad, will get injured. Some of them will mess up and fail, and they might think it wasn't worth it. But the assurance from this passage here today is this. When we are in glory, we will never look back and say, I wish I hadn't served Jesus faithfully. We will always say, I'm so glad I did. Now, Galatians 6 has so far gone uh, like this. We need to help each other bear burdens, particularly the burden of fighting against sin, which is the struggle that all of us face. That was verses 1 to 6. Then last week, we were reminded of why it's important to help one another in this fight, because fighting sin and pursuing holiness is a serious business. We reap what we sow. That was verses 7 and 8. And so tonight we see another development in Paul's thought. It's always worth sowing to please the Spirit. If you remember last time, if you look again at verse 8, Paul says, whoever sows to please their flesh, from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. And what we see in these verses tonight is it is always worth Sowing to please the Spirit. It is always worth pursuing holiness. It is always worth, in the words we see in these verses, in verses 9 and 10, doing good. Do you notice that in verses 9 and 10 we see the phrase doing good or do good? Now this isn't doing good things to be saved, but rather it is doing good as an outworking of being saved. An outworking of our faith in Jesus is that we do good. We serve others. We begin to look like Jesus, who came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Doing good is what the Christian life looks like. And what Paul shows us in these verses is, number one, the incentive of doing good. That's verse 9. And then number uh, verse 10, he shows us the focus of doing good. So let's begin in verse 9 with the incentive of doing good. The incentive. It's worth defining first off, what does Paul mean in verse 9 by good? Uh, The word in verse 9 means something that is of of beauty, uh, something that is excellent in its characteristics, something that is worthy of praise. It is generosity. It is loving others. It is providing for their needs. This includes speaking to people about Jesus, which is their greatest need. It includes encouraging those and loving those who we may not even like very much. All of that is involved in doing good. In fact, older versions of the Bible call this well-doing. Do not become weary in well-doing. Now, Paul tells us here, though, not to become weary in doing good. Now, doing good, loving others, takes time, it takes energy, and it is easy to become weary in doing it. Now, becoming weary is is not saying, Paul's not saying here, guys, don't do too much. (laughs) Don't, Don't tire yourself out now. That's not what he means by don't become weary. We will and are expected to be tired and to serve to the extremes of what we are able. What he is saying is, don't get fed up with it. Don't give up because it's hard. Don't give up when you don't see much impact in your doing good. Don't don't give up when you think, this is a complete waste of my time. 
In fact, the word weary uh, that Jesus, uh, that is used here, Jesus used it in Luke chapter 18 and verse 1 in regards to prayer. Uh, in Luke 18, 1, Jesus said, uh, he, he, Jesus told a parable to his disciples to show them that they should always pray and not give up. Or, it's the same word, always pray and not grow weary. The phrase give up and weary is the same word. And in prayer, we can be tempted to give up because it's hard work, because we don't sometimes see tangible results from our prayers. We can feel like I'm just speaking into the air and nothing is happening. And the same is true, isn't it, of doing good. It can be wearisome, can't it, in those ways. Now, we've been thinking in these verses about sowing and reaping. And that's a helpful way to think about doing good because when you sow a seed, it doesn't appear as a plant the very next day, does it? Again, I'm not an expert in gardening, but when I was at primary school, I remember the, the, the putting the cress in the cotton uh, wool. Do you remember doing that at school? Maybe we just did that in Devon. But we used to do that at school. You put the cress in, you water it, and then as a child... I come back half an hour later, I'm looking at this, this thing, and I'm like, well, there's nothing's happened. This is boring. This is rubbish. But when you plant seeds and you water those seeds, it takes time for them to grow, doesn't it? That's what happens when you sow. Now, we live in a world where everything is, is now, don't we? I, I, I think Amazon Prime is great. I'm not against Amazon Prime. But it does make us a bit more impatient, doesn't it? Because if you've got to wait more than 24 hours for something to be delivered, who else is just jumping around thinking, where is it? But when we are doing good, we don't always see the results the next day. Sometimes we don't even see the results at all this side of glory. But when you sow a seed, you need to tend the crop. And all this is time-consuming. All this is hard work. And sometimes it's not even appreciated. You might be doing good and people might not even care that you're doing good. In fact, you might be doing good and then they, 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 they don't appreciate it in the slightest and they, they're even not very nice to you when you're doing good. And all of these things can make us feel like, is this really worth it? Have you experienced that in doing good? I think all of us have, haven't we? And this word weary, I think it also checks our attitude because some of us are tempted to give up doing good altogether, just to not bother. But others get weary by doing good, but having a bad attitude towards it. One writer helpfully says that the Lord loves a cheerful doer as well as a cheerful giver. And so we can be weary in doing good by just doing good, but doing it miserably. Well, knowing that Christians are tempted to become weary in doing good, Paul here then gives us the incentive to keep going. How can I keep going when I'm feeling that weariness? Well, like Jesus does with that parable to urge us to keep praying, Paul gives us a reality check to urge us to keep serving. What is the incentive? Look again at verse 9. He says, For at the proper time... We will reap a harvest if we do not give up. The incentive here is a sure harvest. The law of sowing and reaping that we looked at last week applies here. There will be a harvest. There will be. 
We will reap what we sow when we sow to please the Spirit. We will reap a harvest for the good that we do. It is an assurance that Paul gives us. Now, first of all, we see that the harvest, though, is at the proper time. Uh, The word for proper time means at just the right time. So the same idea uh, is is what's uh, behind Galatians chapter 4, verse 4, if you want to turn back there. Paul says about the coming of Jesus, but when the set time had fully come, God sent his son. Or in other words, at just the right time, at the proper time, God sent his son. Now the proper time for us to reap a harvest, it may be in this life when we see tangible results. Even those usually take time. Um, Just for an example, there were a number of church uh, people involved in a wedding yesterday. And it was a a long day. Um, But we got to see a tangible result from that in that a couple got married and were very happy with their wedding day. Uh, it, was, it was good. You, you, you see a, a result of that. Sometimes we see quick results of things, but sometimes we don't see quick results. Sometimes we never see a result. But usually, even when we do see results, people change slowly over time, don't they? As we're molded into the image of Christ, that change takes time. I know for me that people have done lots of good for me in my life. I know that growing up in Devon, my church did much good for me. They helped and shaped me become more like Jesus. But I know that I was wearying. I know that it took time. I know that there were weeks and days where people thought, why are we doing this for Steve? No doubt. They never told me that, but I'm pretty sure it was true. Sometimes we never see the results. Sometimes those results take time. And that's where we entrust our doing good to God. Because we will be rewarded when we stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Even if we don't see any results, all the good that we do will be rewarded when we stand before Christ. In the Bible reading in Matthew chapter 25, we saw a parable of the bags of gold. Not everyone was given the same amount of gold, but each had to steward well the amount that they had been given. And then the master went away on his journey. And the servants that did well, in Paul's words, the servants that did good, they were enthusiastic, so they went out at once, we read. So there was no delay. They jumped at the chance to serve their master. They were diligent We read that they put the money to work, so they worked hard, they used the resources they had. And thirdly, they were risky. They gained more, they invested. They had a a 100% return. We're not told what they did, but the kind of investment that they, the the return they got indicates that their investment was risky. They, They did things that they weren't quite sure whether they would work out. And at the end, when the master returned, we read that those servants uh, that were enthusiastic and diligent and risky were told these words, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. And so even though we might not see the the, the results of our doing good here and now, 
There is a time coming when we stand before our Father and we will be rewarded for the faithful service that we have rendered for him. Uh, One uh, writer says this, The Christian shall be rewarded for his well-doing. Every act of Christian duty, every sacrifice made, every privation submitted to, every suffering endured from a regard to Christ's authority with a view to Christ's honor shall assuredly be recompensed. The happiness of the Christian, both in this world and the next, is, in great measure, the natural result of his conformity to the will of God. So we will be rewarded. It will be worth it when we stand before our Father in heaven. Now, what will this reward be? Well, Matthew's gospel speaks of of more responsibility, of, of sharing in the master's happiness, Uh, The Bible has, uh, in various places, speaks in different ways. Uh, The 18th century pastor Jonathan Edwards is helpful for us here. Uh, He illustrates uh, the heavenly reward uh, by asking us to imagine that each of us is like a cup in an ocean of heavenly happiness. And our reward is to be different sized cups according to what we have done for him But each cup is completely full to the brim of the happiness of heaven. We are each as full of happiness as we can possibly be. But that capacity to be full is different according to the rewards that we're given. And when we are completely full, that means we don't look at others and say, well, I wish I was rewarded as much as them because we're completely happy. We won't, neither will we say, well, look at how small you are. We will be completely happy, completely delighting in what we are and what we have become as a reward for serving God. And so we don't need to worry, therefore, about what we haven't done for God in the past. We don't need to worry about, oh, I've messed it all up. There's no point now. Rather, we should be inspired by these words to, from right this moment, right now, serve Jesus Christ without growing weary in the days ahead. So if you think, oh, you know what, I've really messed up in the past. I really wish I'd have served Jesus uh, better. I've, I've, I've wasted my life. Stop worrying about that. Right now, serve Jesus. Don't grow weary. Keep going. We always know that it will be worth it. Sometimes I hear Christians say, well, if I'm going to be happy in heaven anyway, why bother serving him fervently now? Because, well, I'm going to be in heaven, so I'll be happy anyway. Well, my answer to that is kind of twofold. First of all, this incentive of reward is given to us to spur us on. But secondly, that is not the attitude of a Christian. A Christian is one who wants to serve Jesus Christ, partly because of what Jesus Christ has done for them, but also because their heart has been changed to make them more and more like Jesus And if you are more and more like Jesus, being conformed more and more into the image of Jesus, if you are more like Jesus, you are going to serve more. Because Jesus spent his whole time doing good, didn't he? So if you are being conformed into the image of Christ, you are going to do more good. And so if your attitude is, well, I'm going to be in heaven anyway, it doesn't really matter, I would question your heart. Because you're not at that point really being conformed into the image of Christ, you see? A Christian is one 
who is not perfect, but who strives and longs to be more and more like the Savior whom they worship. In 1793, William Carey arrived in India with a burden to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ to people who had never heard of Jesus at all. And for seven years, he proclaimed the gospel faithfully, week after week, month after month, and not one native of India was converted. Not one. Seven years. Imagine that. And through years of struggle and doubt, William Carey was often discouraged, but he was never defeated. He even wrote to his sisters back home in England. He says, I feel as a farmer does about his crop. Sometimes I think the seed is springing, and this I hope, and a little blasts all, and my hopes are gone like a cloud. They were only weeds which appeared. Or if a little corn sprung up, it quickly dies being either choked with weeds or parched up by the sun of persecution. Yet I still hope in God and will go forth in his strength and make mention of his righteousness, even of his only. He wrote these words when he had received no converts, when there was no indication that anyone would be saved. But on December the 28th, 1800, seven years later after he arrived, William Carey baptized in the Ganges River, his first Hindu convert, a carpenter named Krishna Pal. And this was the beginning of a mighty harvest of souls that God granted to India. And God granted Carey and his co-workers many blessings of conversions in the years ahead. Carey waited seven long years before his first convert, But he did not grow weary in doing good. He knew that there was an incentive. There was a harvest coming if he did not give up. And you know what? Even if nobody came to faith, even if Carey had died having faithfully preached the gospel, he would have been rewarded in glory for his work. For we are called to be faithful, not successful, but faithful. We leave the harvest of souls down to God. So brothers and sisters, let us not grow weary in doing good. Keep serving our Lord by blessing others. Get involved in various uh, ways at church. Get involved in the teams that are in place. Let's serve each other and our community in different ways. And if you're a church member here uh, that wants to do good in these areas and aren't involved in any way, then come and speak to the elders and deacons and we can put you to work in doing good for the glory of Christ in our church. So, we have the incentive of doing good, but how do we go about this work? Well, in verse 10, uh, we see the focus of doing good. So he begins in verse 10 with, therefore, linking it to what's gone before. So because there's a harvest to reap, because we must not grow weary, he gives us a focus. And there are three parts to verse 10 that help us to focus our well-doing. We see, first of all, the opportunity. Then we see doing good to all people and then a special focus on the family of God. So first of all, then, we are to do good as we have opportunity. In fact, the word opportunity is the same word as proper time in verse 9. And so it's doing good as God gives you 
to do at the appropriate time that you are in. And so this means we can't take every opportunity that comes our way. We can't say yes to every single thing that we could possibly do. Now, some people are really good at saying yes to everything, and they end up really not doing very much because they haven't got the time to do everything. We've got to be wise about what we say yes to. So Paul isn't saying, brothers and sisters, every time someone asks you to do something, you've got to say yes. He's not saying that. He's saying, as we have opportunity, as we have proper time. It means doing good within the the restraints that we all have of our time, of our abilities, of our finances, and so on. Now, often you will find you have more time and ability and finances than you perhaps think you do. But it does mean that we have to work within the limitations and capacity that God has given us to do good. It's a bit like the different bags of gold. Not everyone was given 10 bags of gold. People were given different amounts. Now our reward is for faithfulness with what God has given us. So we shouldn't be longing for opportunities that God has given someone else, wishing we had them. Rather, as Paul said earlier in Galatians 6, we've got to each carry our own load. God isn't going to judge you for what someone else is doing. He's going to judge you for the opportunities that you have. So be faithful with what God has given you to steward. It might be something very small. Some people have been given lots of responsibility. But be faithful. Don't grow weary in doing good in the opportunities God has given you. Those opportunities change uh, over time. We all go through different life stages, different stages of health and so on. But be faithful in the good that God has given you to do, in the opportunities you have. But perhaps let me encourage you to, to begin by doing good in your home, with your family. Teenagers, get involved in the chores in your house. You know, that is doing good. And as Christians, if you're doing good in those areas, not only will your parents be pleased with you, and I don't know if they reward you or not, but God certainly will. Not forget the service you give him. Husbands, love your wives. Treat them well. And wives to husbands. Do good to your parents and so on. And your work colleagues. You don't have to look very far to see that God has given you opportunities to do good in all sorts of ways. But we need to look and listen for opportunities in church or in your street to do good. The Good Samaritan did good by walking along the road to Jericho and noticing the person that God had put in his path. And so we have to look for those opportunities as God brings them our way. So we can't say yes to everything, but we must look out for what God does want us to do and to to do what he has given us faithfully. So, as each has opportunity. But the focus now moves on to who we should be doing good to. Paul says, let us do good to all people. Now, first of all, this does not mean and cannot mean that we're to do good to absolutely everybody all the time. I mean, that would be stupid, wouldn't it? That's impossible. But all people here means that we're not to discriminate in terms of who you help. It's literally whoever God brings your way. Now, Jesus speaks of us being salt and light in the world. In in speaking of us being salt, 
Uh, we are making the world better. Uh, we are uh, uh, enhancing what is, is good in the world God has given. And in speaking of making us light, we are pointing to a better world. We are showing people in the world Jesus Christ and all he has done as we follow him. And we are salt and light in our world in all sorts of ways. So as we do good to work colleagues, to family, to neighbors, we are showing Jesus to our world, doing good to them. Uh, an example of this is, is working with organizations like the Christian Institute who try to love all people in our nation by promoting good that makes the world better and points people to a better world. That's one example of doing good to all people. Things like being school governors or helping in local committees are such examples of doing good to all people. So as we have opportunity in your life, we should be doing good in the world where God has placed us. We should be seeking the good of the world around us, the place where we live, and sharing the gospel in those places. We should be doing good to all people. But there is a special focus here in verse 10. So notice how Paul says it. As we have opportunity, so what God has given you to do, let us do good to all people, but especially to those who belong to the family of God or the household of believers. So there is a special focus on the family of God, on the church. There is a special obligation and call on our resources from the church. Why? Well, there are two reasons why we are to especially focus on the family of God. And the first reason is that the church here in verse 10 is called the family of believers. Do you notice that in verse 10? It is a family. We are not in a kind of a, a social club. We are, we are not in an organization as such. We are in a family. Now, all of us understand how we have special obligations to our families, to our spouses, to our children, to our parents and our siblings and so on. And those obligations cause us to make judgment calls on how we spend our time, don't they? They take priority because there's an obligation. So if there's a call for, on my, if, my, if my mother is sick, and there's a call on my time to, to care for my mother or be in the litter picking group. The litter picking group is a good thing to be involved in. But if both are calling on my time, I have a, a unique obligation to my mother who is sick, don't I? If I was to reject caring for my mother to go and pick litter, people would look at me and think, well, that isn't quite right, is it? And they'd be right because I have an obligation to honor my mother. And Paul here describes the church like that. The church members are your family. Now, many times people uh, come and they say things like this. Uh, there is a family feel here at this church. Or they might say things like, uh, the church is like a family to me. And those are, are good things and, and we know what is meant by those phrases. But the church is not like a family. It's not. The church is a family. Do you see the difference? It's not like a family. The church isn't a simile. It is a family. Every bit as much a family as our blood family. 
because we've been adopted into a family of God as brothers and sisters with a father in heaven. These brothers and sisters around you are family. That's what Paul says here. The family of God. And we're to help one another because there is a special obligation that we have to each other that we don't have to all people. And the second reason, the first reason is is that because it's a family. The second reason why there's a special focus on the family of believers is because there is much less people who will help in church work than there are people who will help in work for all people. So, for example, there are more people who will be on the litter picking group in Pelsall. There's nothing wrong with the litter picking group. It's just the thing that came to my head. There's more people involved in the litter picking group in Pelsall who could be involved in that than could be involved in the work of proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so because of that, there's an obligation more to God's family because there is less people to draw from to help in God's family. And so that should impact the way that we do good. That impacts our financial giving as well. Our financial giving should prioritize the church. We should give to the church first, partly because the church is our priority, but also other charities and organizations, as good as they may be in helping all people, have a bigger pool of resources to draw from for their finances. But now whilst the New Testament doesn't give specific amounts we're to give, rather we are told to give as we are able, the tradition, if you will, of of giving 10% of our income to the church is a helpful kind of flaw that we can start with to prioritize the giving to the church. Our time commitments as well as our finances should prioritize the church too. We should be involved in serving the life of the fellowship. So if we were to, if people were to, to see your uh, kind of schedule and, and your, your giving and, and, uh, and your commitments that you have, would they see that you are doing good to all people, but with a special focus on the family of God? That's the challenge really for us here. And doing this is exactly what Jesus Christ did. He came and he did good to everyone. His work helped many who never believed in him. He healed people that did not become Christians. His impact on world history and societies that have been based on his teaching, including our own, has had an amazing impact for good. But his saving work has a unique effect, especially on those who believe. Something else to think about, though, as well. Our doing good, especially to those who belong to the household of God, is actually doing good to all people. Because Jesus said that it is our love for one another that shows his love to the world around us. Our doing good for one another is a bright witness to the world, isn't it? So there's much there for us to think about, isn't there? Just two verses... But a great amount packed in there, isn't there, to challenge each one of us. I'm challenged by these verses, and I hope that all of us are. So let's not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, 
especially to those who belong to the family of believers.